people of God, I invite you to turn with me in the Word of God, and you may well want to keep your Bibles open. We'll be looking very closely at the first uh, three verses of Second Peter uh, chapter 1, and Lord willing, uh, the next uh, services that we spend together, uh, we'll be reading the entire book of Second Peter and focusing on some major themes, but we'll introduce it by looking very closely at the first few verses. Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 1. Uh, people of God, hear that gracious word, that infallible, inerrant word of our holy God. Simon Peter, a bondservant, and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. People of God, this word from God's word. The great theme of this book is the covenant of grace. Uh, This evening, Lord willing, we will look at covenant living. Uh, This may, could be described as the sermon of covenant beginning. Uh, But the word covenant doesn't appear, but that which does appear is central to the very nature of covenant. Particularly verse 4, God has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Uh, Those promises are uh, set before us as multiplied grace in verses 1 through 3 in particular. Uh, This uh, grace that is set before us is a word about grace and so fits with promises, covenant being God's oath-bound promises uh, concerning God's grace, mercy, and knowledge that He gives to us. We see clearly a focus on Jesus Christ in these verses. Uh, that one who is the covenant head. In John 1.16, it would declare, and of His fullness we have all received grace for grace. And so it is the grace that comes to us uh, from our God uh, through Jesus Christ. And so this multiplied grace is set before us. And we'll look at three points this morning, though I didn't get them to your bulletin secretary, so they're not in there, but I do have them, and hopefully we'll be able to follow them. First of all, uh, the God repeatedly gives His grace. His grace is multiplied to us, and it's given through a personal revealer. It is received by personal receivers, And it's experienced by those 
who received that grace and mercy. So there's an experience of that which we receive from one who has revealed it to us. The personal revealer is Simon Peter. Simon Peter. But in learning about Simon, we will learn about ourselves as well. Although there are things about Simon that are very different than us. His name, Simon Peter, which reminds us of two different things. It reminds us that his name was Simon. Uh, He was called Simon by his parents and Peter by Christ. In Matthew uh, chapter 16, uh, uh, there is that, uh, or we hear a word of testimony about what Peter then would declare uh, concerning Jesus Christ. In Matthew 16, 14 through 19, uh, here is that testimony of Simon Peter concerning Jesus Christ. Some, Jesus asked the question, um, well, who do men say that I am in verse 13? And they said, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter one of the other few places where it's mentioned Simon Peter, answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You are Peter, and on this rock. Of course, the word Peter is from the Greek word Petros, which means rock. And so, uh, Jesus Christ is declaring here that that testimony of of Peter, and then the word that Peter will bring, whether it's at Pentecost or whether it is by God's special design as one who brings a word to the church of Jesus Christ of all ages as an inspired apostle, one who has received the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write down the words of Scripture. And that is actually one of the themes of the book of Second Peter is, is the importance of the Word of God. Uh, the other is the fact that our faith is multiplied, that it, we grow in grace and in knowledge. But upon this rock, upon this confession, upon this truth that is declared, and now a truth that you will, you will then bring forth and that truth will bind and that truth will loose. He is this one who is making this declaration, Simon Peter. And whenever Peter would hear his name, Peter, he would remember that confession and those words that Jesus Christ uh, gave to him. He would know the central element of his gospel proclamation is that Jesus Christ, uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now the fullness of that as it comes out in the, after the death and resurrection and ascension 
and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and then Peter preaching at Pentecost. All of that is before us. Although we'll note in a future sermon, it, it wasn't this moment of his life when it, it wasn't even the resurrection, but it was the Mount of Transfiguration where he was one of but three that will be a historical focus of the book and of particularly of chapter 1. And so it is Simon Peter. And what is his, his status? What is his status? He is a bondservant. A bondservant. I'm always, I, I know that the, the word could have some connotation of bondservant, meaning one who is, is uh, under a, a technical, a bondservant is technically one who would be uh, in uh, with a bond to somebody, and a bond servant would would receive payment. Uh, we would talk about bond servants coming into the United States, and they would be sponsored, and they would be provided money, and then they were they were as it were bonded to the person that was that had sponsored and provided money, and and they would have a a uh, a an obligation, a legal obligation to pay back. And part of that payback may be to serve them for some time. I actually think the word bondservant is rather weak. It, it's the, the word for slave. And almost every servant in the Roman Empire at this time, they were slaves. He's a slave of Christ. It's it's what we profess in Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one, isn't it? The comfort of slavery. I am not my own, but belong to Jesus Christ. And Peter, too, is making that declaration. I am, I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He is my master. I've been purchased by him. I've re been redeemed by him. And I am but his servant. I, I do now what he commands me to do. And, and now Peter is doing that with, with boldness and, and with confidence. He is one who is firmly convinced of the entirety of the Christian world and life view of the wonders of Jesus Christ. And he's a slave of Christ. It's not our natural inclination to be excited about being a slave to anyone. Uh, young people, you may say to yourself, I don't like anybody telling me what to do. I don't like people telling me when I have to come home at night, let alone that they are now the master of my entire life. And Peter declares, I, I'm a slave of Christ. In every way, I acknowledge him as Lord, ruler of my life. I once met with a group of students in a, uh, in a, in a school, and they were having debates. They had a debate about women in office, and that's why they asked me to come there present a position. And I ended up presenting absolutely nothing about women in office at all. Because after five minutes, 
I was absolutely convinced that the issue wasn't women in office. The issue was the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. Do you say Jesus is Lord? Do you say, I want Him to direct every aspect of my life. I want to follow Him wherever He leads. I want to think the way He wants me to think, to act the way He wants me to act. I'm a slave to Christ. Peter was no different than us in this aspect. He was the one that would confess Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one in its deepest, most significant aspect and meaning. But he also had an apostolic status. He had an apostolic status a bondservant and apostle. And as an apostle, he had a unique position. And he knew what that unique position was. He knew that Paul had that unique position. And we'll come across that testimony in the book of Second Peter as well. Peter had an absolute clear understanding that he was proclaiming and writing and teaching with the authority of the prophets of the Old Testament as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and that apostleship and, and the prophetic prophets of the Old Testament were but balanced upon Old and New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2. Peter, Paul would bear testimony to the same thing. Ephesians two nineteen and 20. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This was a common theme of the New Testament, apostolic witness to the wonders of Christ, now recorded for us in Scripture, the New Testament. And he knows he's an apostle as well. He's a servant of Jesus Christ, but he's an apostle. And as an apostle, he's different than you and he's different than me. That office was a foundational office to the church of Jesus Christ. And there is no other foundation that can be given. Ephesians 3 Verses 1 through 7 will talk about that apostolic foundation this way. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Slave of Christ. Prisoner of Christ. For you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which you've given to me for you, how that by revelation He made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets, and that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel, the good news of which I have become became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effectual power working of His power. 
apostles, prophets. There's a, a very clear foundational aspect to this truth. We'll look more closely at this, Lord willing, next week. So here is Simon Peter. He is one who had had personal interaction with Jesus Christ, given a new name, Peter, a bondservant and an apostle, to those, to those. Now we are talking about the receivers, the obtainers of this. Who are the those? It is a general epistle. We call uh, uh, Second Peter, First uh, Peter, general epistles. They're not written to a specific church. In First Peter chapter one, uh, that audience of to whom he was declaring is to the pilgrims uh, in verse one, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. So it's the pilgrims to those. It is to the church of Jesus Christ, to true believers. One might clearly go and declare it to God's elect. This is, this is the, the receivers of this word. This is those to whom Peter is writing. This general. He's writing to me and to you. Just as all the Old and New Testament are to all of the people of God. To those who have obtained a like precious faith with us. They have obtained it. Uh, this obtained is in emphasizing, this word obtained emphasizes a one-time act in the past. It, it is not talking about something that's obtained over and over and over again. This is talking about that one, uh, the, the past mighty act of God in the lives of those who are true believers. Now, there's all kinds of things that happened one time in the past. What is it that is emphasized here? They have already obtained. What have they obtained? The like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They have obtained a like precious faith. Now this word obtained uh, is not used very often in the New Testament. One place that it's used is in Luke 1 verse 9. And I'll read the verse and you'll go, where is the word? Obtained. And it's about uh, how John the Baptist's father received the priesthood. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. His lot fell is the word obtained. His lot fell. The lot was cast. And he obtained the position to burn incense. He obtained it through the falling of the lot. Through nothing of his own. The obtained word here has an emphasis on the fact that it, it comes to us. It, it, is not some, it didn't say that 
It's not a word that implies that you obtain it by grabbing hold of it, taking it, even choosing it. It is something that is received. Something that happens to you. Not what you are doing. Have obtained. It's a passive reception. Not an active taking hold. Now, there's all kinds of passages that tell us to take hold, and Second Peter is going to be full of those, but it begins with how we have obtained it. And we have obtained a like precious faith. A like precious faith. And that is uh, so maybe difficult to grasp the fullness of that phrase that even... Uh, at least my new King James version has a in the in the side column has a a little thing that says uh, that it is a faith of the same value. It, it it wants to it's a like precious, but it also has the connotation of of the same value. So we're not quite sure which way to translate it. The ESV would translate it this way: to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. The New American Standard would translate it to those who received a faith of the same kind of ours. And every one of those translations is getting at an important aspect of this word. They're all good translations. And they're all focusing on this reality, that the faith that Peter was given is the exact same faith that every other believer is given throughout history. There is Now we're back to where there's not any difference between Peter and the ones that he's writing to who have obtained the same kind of faith that he obtained because as Jesus said when he gave him his name, as Jesus said when he made the profession of faith, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You have been given this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter is saying that very same thing in this text with this word. We have obtained a like precious faith. We, our faith is the same. There is no difference between the faith of Peter and the faith of the smallest child in this, in this congregation looking to Jesus Christ as the one through whom their sin is forgiven. It's the same faith. It is the same Lord. We are all sinners saved by grace, not by works, not by personal status, not by position in the church, not even an apostolic position. Peter received it the same way, and it's the same kind of faith as we have. And it's not by our actions, but it is by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is by His actions. It is by the righteous work of our God. Now, when it uses the phrase, uh, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, it's not the easiest to determine, but I, with William Hendrickson, believe that this is uh, talking about God the Father, and God, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's not Jesus being referred to God, but God, 
being a reference to the first person of the Trinity and Savior Jesus Christ reference to the second person of the Trinity, which then follows through uh, with the focus of who is the subject of the next verses. But this is a, a declaration concerning uh, the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's a righteousness that's connected to the first person of the Trinity, God, and to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. It is that righteousness that is focused on as an eternal attribute in that God is perfectly just, He's perfectly righteous in everything He does. The Father is righteous, the Son is righteous, and the Holy Spirit is perfectly righteous. There are not three perfectly righteous. There is one perfectly righteous God. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ is revealed as the perfect head of the covenant of grace. That one who has replaced the sinful Adam and is now the sinless Christ. It's His righteousness. And so that people of God, just as Paul will emphasize in the book of Romans, so Peter will now emphasize at the beginning of the book of Peter. It is not simply a matter of sin being forgiven. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ being imputed to us. It is not simply knowing that we have a blank slate. It's that our slate is full. So that as the catechism would declare, God now looks at us as if we had never sinned nor been a sinner. He looks at us as if we were as perfectly obedient, as perfectly righteous as Christ is righteous. And all these glorious themes are packed into these first words of introduction in the book of Second Peter. It is by the righteousness of God. A righteousness that maintains God's perfect justice in saving vile sinners. It is that righteousness that recognizes that we are sinners and that we need to be saved only by grace. By the righteousness of our God. By His righteous acts through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so this glorious truth is set before us. Where Jesus Christ and God the Father are on absolute parallel tracks. And we need to add the Holy Spirit in there. There's not a three-track uh, uh, three track, two tracks running to our salvation. There's really three. It's a three-track train, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's one track. And all of them are working for our salvation. And our life, our experience of that salvation, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. There is the beginning of of the explanation, of the experience that we have as God's people of this, of all that God is gifting us with. We have a personal experience. We don't just receive it. We live out of it. We, we receive it day after day. As Lamentations would declare morning... Every morning your mercy is new. Grace 
God's undeserved mercy flowing out of divine love to lost sinners. It is a gift. Everything here is a gift. Everything comes to us. It, we, we, we obtain it by lot. It's the grace and the favor of God. And whenever grace is connected to God, it's, it's never that God... The, the word grace can also, in, the, in a different context, can actually be a, a gratitude for the gift. Gratitude for the gift. Grace has behind it the idea of gift. Grace has the idea of undeserved. And, and, and it even flows into gratitude. But the Bible never says that God is thankful to us. God is gracious to us and we are thankful to Him. His actions are filled with love, mercy, undeserved pity. These are the attributes that God declares upon us. These are the, God, the attributes that God gives to us through the preaching of the Word, through the, well, the actual blessing, isn't it? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the greeting. This is the greeting you received this morning. When you received that greeting, did you say to yourself, this is God imparting to me these very things. I'm experiencing them. It's not just words of a preacher. It is a reality of the believer. Grace. Peace. Be multiplied to you. Peace. This is the Old Testament background for peace. Shalom. Wholeness. Well-being. Blessedness. Lack of warfare. Peace replacing enmity. Wrath. Judgment. Peace of mind. Peace with myself. Peace with others. Peace in the church. Peace with the world to as great a degree as possible. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. In the knowledge, notice, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You catechism students, you Sunday school children uh, being taught at home, we pray faithfully in school. We pray faithfully in the church. You're taught knowledge. Knowledge. Some people think knowledge of the truth is sometimes had enmity with grace and peace, with love. Grace and peace are great. God's love is great. But just don't talk about knowledge. It's grace and peace that comes in and through knowledge. If you have no knowledge of Jesus, if you have no knowledge of God, you will have no knowledge of grace and you'll have no knowledge of peace. You'll have no experience of it. God moves through in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For the simple, that knowledge is simple. I know those who are 
mentally disabled. Some of the greatest and most simple, profound statements of knowledge and love and peace are exemplified. It's not the matter, and we'll we'll see this tonight again, it's not the matter of the degree as much as the reality. But if you have the ability, then the reality of knowledge is a major thing. And it's multiplied. Be multiplied to you. Here is the constant theme of this. Multiply in the reading of God's Word. I never read through the Bible or even the New Testament until I was out of high school in the army. And God at that point gave me a hunger and thirst for His Word and I read through it. Have you high school students read through the New Testament? It's a studying of God's Word, of specific times, whether that be at the home, in school, in the church, or the hearing of the Word. What a foundational principle of God's Word to hear the proclaimed Word of the God in sermons and possibly times of teaching and instruction in memorizing God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 11, Your Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Singing the Word, praying the Word, leads to living the Word. This is the blessing of God. This is the blessing that comes to us. It is in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is one of the themes of the book of Second Peter. And it ends with that same theme. And I read that now as well. Second Peter 3, verses 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. And, considering, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking uh, in them of things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scripture. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, now and forevermore. Amen. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for appointing prophets and apostles and inscripturating Your communication to us in what we call the Book of Books, the Holy Bible. We thank You, Heavenly Father, that it isn't just words on a page, but it is the good news of salvation, grace, mercy, knowledge, being imparted to us. 
by those who were the same with us, but called to a foundational proclamation. Father, may we rest in this truth. May we glory in it. May we receive, O God, your grace and mercy day by day, hour by hour, service by service, sermon by sermon, devotion by devotional, that your name may be honored, that your name may be exalted, that Jesus Christ may be demonstrated. We pray this in the blessed name of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Response number 429. Number 429, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, the three stanzas of 429.